this week I'm going to be talking on the wise men. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is to talk about the wise men. I cannot talk about him, about the wise men without first talking about Jesus and the reality that Jesus really did. He really did come to earth to live in, among us. And I was in worship today. How many are you guys so thankful for the worship team tonight? Weren't they incredible? There was a ton of them. But if you guys really don't have this at the forefront of your minds this season, this is a season where we really dwell on the fact that Jesus came. And I don't know if you guys have really taken time through this month yet to think about the reality that Jesus really did come to this earth for you. He left, the Bible says in Philippians, it says that who, Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And I just think that this is what the season is all about. The fact that Jesus left his deity, his God, fully God, in order to become man and dwelling among us. It says that he emptied himself. And I think that this is the season where we really dwell on that. We really dwell on the fact that Jesus emptied himself and became a servant for us. Um, John 1 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in order to talk about my sermon tonight, I really wanted to first start with that reality because our response to this reality matters, amen? Our response to the reality that Jesus came, he emptied himself, he became flesh and dwelt among us. What sort of emotions does that invoke in you? What sort of things do you think that come up in your heart, that come up in your mind when you think about what Jesus did for you at the beginning of his life. Oftentimes we'll focus a lot on the cross, which is worthy of that man. But let's think about the reality that he started with servanthood and he ended with sacrifice. But to have the sacrifice, he had to first start with the servanthood and his emptying himself. So I really want you guys to think about that as I pray because I'm gonna start with prayer and really ask the Lord to search our hearts and to search our minds to see what is our emotions when we think about this. What is coming to our mind when we think about Jesus? Why, John? Jonathan? Okay, okay, okay. Hey. Okay, listen to me. We are going to take a second and all of us are going to pray together. Hey, Jada. <laughs> okay, so I just want us to take a second to pray. So everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, and close your mouths. Thank you. <laughs> God, I just thank you so much for who Jesus is. That when he was born, he emptied himself of all of his deity. He said, I want to be flesh and dwell among them. And I pray that tonight that we would open our hearts up to you and really assess and allow you to search our hearts on what our motivations are. I, I really want you to open us up tonight, God. God, I pray that you would help us to be able to identify 
where our hearts are at so that way we can worship you better through this season. In your name, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna first start by opening up Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and I'm just gonna read the text as a whole before we kind of dive in to the response of these three different characters from the account of Jesus' birth. Um, Okay, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, if you guys have your paper Bibles. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the sorry, people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd to my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them in Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search of the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and, a star had, and, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to not go back to Herod, they returned to their country another route. I want to talk about a few different characters and their response to the coming of the Christ. Because I think that this applies to us. And I think that these three characters oftentimes represent the way that we respond to the Christmas story at this time of year. So the first person I wanted to mention is King Herod. I don't know if you guys know who King Herod was, but this is not just somebody who's in the Bible, but it is a historical figure who we know quite a bit about him, and he was a, a monster. I mean, he started out his reign pretty normal, but then something happened to him, and he was disturbed in his spirit, and he started killing a bunch of people. He killed two of his sons, at least, maybe three. They don't know for sure. And he killed his wife. He killed a bunch of Philistines. He killed anybody who he saw was a threat to his throne. And so he was a really disturbed guy. And so when he heard um, about the coming of the, of the Jewish king, he was, as you can tell, probably very disturbed in his spirit. And the Bible says that. So let's look at his response to the coming of Jesus. In verse 3 it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So this verse, disturbed, when I looked it up, it meant disturbed, troubled, terrified. And then this one really stood out to me. It says, to strike one's spirit with fear or dread. And this was Herod's response. He was the king. 
He was on the throne, and he didn't want Jesus to be on the throne because that was his rightful spot. And I think that tonight, that can be something that we can grasp from. How many of you guys just want to do your own thing? You want to be ruler of your life. You're sick of your parents telling you what to do. I mean, when I was in high school, when my mom would tell me to clean my room, something in me would burn against her. Like, how dare you tell me to clean my room? Like, it's not good enough for you. And so I wanted to be my own king in a lot of ways in that season. And so oftentimes our response and Hera's response was one of to strike one's spirit with fear or dread. He didn't want Jesus to be king. He wanted to be the king. And the question is, are you someone who feels threatened by the lordship or kingship of Jesus? Because there cannot be two kings. There cannot be you as the queen. There has to be one, one king. And you have to make a decision in your life. Are you going to let yourself be your king, or are you going to let the Lord be your king? And I think oftentimes we can really grapple with that, with the reality of, I really want to do this, but I feel like God wants me to do that. And if I do that thing, I feel like I won't be happy, and I want to be happy, so I want to do my own thing. But the reality is, if you are threatened by the lordship of Jesus, you are no better than King Herod. Because King Herod's big downfall is that he was threatened by everyone. And let's talk about where that led him. It led him with at least two less sons. It left him very, very lonely. Very lonely because he didn't have a wife. Everybody who was close to him was scared of him. And he wanted to be the man in charge. And so because he was threatened by everybody around him, he didn't have anybody close to him. So I just wanted to let you know that if you want to be the type of person who is king, who's queen over your own life, then you're going to have some problems. Because let's read on in verse 16. Maybe I'll just read it in my notes. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that had been learned from the Magi. This is a really sad, low response. There's still, if you go to Jerusalem, there's still pictures that I've seen of great tombs of little babies. It's terrible. Terrible. And when you are disturbed in your spirit, when you want to be king and you just have this thing that I want to be in charge of my life, you will push everybody away from you. You will most of all king Jesus. Because if you are king over your life, you will shipwreck your life. And King Herod did that. He shipwrecked his life. He ended up alone. He ended up miserable. And he ended up dead. Well, we all end up dying, but, you know, his was nasty. (laughs) The second response I wanted to talk to you guys was that of the religious leaders and Jerusalem as a whole, but specifically the religious leaders. The religious leaders made their life's work about all the things in the Bible. They knew the scriptures, and when Herod inquired of them where the Messiah would be born, they had an immediate response because they knew. They knew the scriptures, and they immediately answered Bethlehem. These men were Jews, and they had every reason to be at the edge of their seats waiting for the Messiah to be born. Because on all accounts, first and foremost, 
He came to set the Jews free. I mean, he's king of the Jews. That's what the Bible talks about, is that he came to be a shepherd to Israel. So where were they when Jesus was born? Where were these religious leaders who should have been at the edge of their seats? What? On earth? The Lord. <laughs> he's coming back. <laughs> okay. Let's look at the response of these, uh, of these religious leaders. In Matthew 2, 3 through 6, says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And then he had called together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What's the response here? Do you guys see that? I guess you guys can't see that because this is the end of it. Okay. <laughs> the Bible says that King Herod heard this and he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. They were just as disturbed as King Herod was about the coming of, of the Christ. Isn't that incredible? Jesus came to set these people free, free from their sins, but they thought at least free from bondage from their oppressors. And they were disturbed at the coming of Jesus, the people of Israel. Isn't that incredible? That is not what I would guess. If somebody told me that I will save you from this life and make you a king, I'd be like, I, I would not, yeah, well, a queen. <laughs> I would not be fighting it, but these people were fighting it. So let's think about why. Oh, yeah, you got a question? What's up? Yeah. There was a lot of them, actually. Not just that guy, but there was a lot of people. Yes. Yes, Jada. What? What? My G's? King? All right. <laughs> I, was like, I have no lisp, okay? <laughs> um, a lot of people believed that the wise men showing up was a great disturbance. I mean, imagine you're just living your life. You've got this guy, King Herod, who's in charge of you. And these, this great people, people who look fancy as crap, they come walking in through all of Butte, and it causes this big ruckus. That's kind of what we're looking at. And these people knew King Herod's history. At this point, when Jesus was born, we know that he killed two of his sons. And if he killed two of his sons and he killed all those Philistines who opposed him, they were concerned at what this would mean for them. They knew that King Herod was, was paranoid. And when the wise men showed up, they probably looked really impressive and kingly. Their response falls somewhere between concern for Herod's reaction and apathy. They, above anyone else on the planet, should have felt overjoyed for the coming of Jesus. He was first their savior. He was the savior of the world, but he was first and foremost the savior of the Jews. And they should have been overjoyed. 
but their response of the religious leaders in the text isn't what they said or what they did. It's nothing about this that says, man, they were really mean to Jesus. It wasn't what they said or what they did. It's what they didn't say. It's what they didn't do when they had the opportunity to. They could have gone with the Magi. Think about it. King Herod is there. He brings the religious leaders in. He's talking about what the Magi are asking about. They could have gone with them, but instead they stayed behind, and they did nothing. Their story ends there, and it's mostly because of their great apathy and their great fear of man. So the question is, the second response, um, hold on. The second response is, are you somebody who feels nothing for the king? In this season, we're supposed to have this great joy in our hearts. We're supposed to come and worship him. There's this so many songs that talk about coming and adoring him. And the question is, do you feel nothing for him? When we sing those songs tonight and the worship team is playing, tonight when we were worshiping, I just have this because I was reading the story and I've been researching these guys, I just have this emotion that I don't usually have. And it's because I feel something. So the question is, do you feel something? Do you feel something? When we talked about at the beginning, the the story of Jesus, when I was bringing that up, do you feel something about Jesus coming to this earth for you? Do you feel something about him emptying himself for you? Because the religious leaders didn't. They were so concerned about what Herod thought, what each other thought, that they, they were left with apathy. And this is the thing, is that if you're so busy thinking about what this person thinks, if you're so busy thinking about what that person thinks, if they like you, if your parents are mad at you, all these things, if you're so concerned with all these people in your lives, it will leave you with apathy towards the one that really matters. Let me say that a different way. If Jesus matters, his opinion matters, his heartbeat matters, what he did for you matters, then the other stuff doesn't really matter. One of the songs that I always cling to is, you can have all of this world, just give me Jesus. CJ, hey, CJ. I'm gonna need you to shape up, buddy. Okay, I'm just gonna need you to shape up, okay? Does the story of Jesus cause something in you to stir? Does it cause something in you to come alive? Do you think when you, the worship is a response. It's a response to what Jesus has done for us. It's the only thing that we think, you know, that that song that she was talking about that, um, what was the one that was talking about, like, the responses to worship him or something? What? Yes. Yes, that one. It's like when, when we think about how great he is, when we think about everything that he's done, when we magnify the Lord and we think great thoughts about who he is, nothing else really matters. And the only response that we have in our hearts during this season, if we're thinking about the reality that is Jesus emptying himself and becoming nothing for us, he became a little burping, pooping baby. He emptying himself of all of his deity for you. He had to go through puberty, man. He had to do it for you. That's a terrible, sad reality. 
<laughs> Zit face Jesus? <laughs> this one really hits home for me. Because as followers of Jesus, the more years that you follow him, the more the temptation is to feel nothing during the season. It's so easy to get caught up as somebody who works for the church in all the things that I have to do, all the wheels that need to keep spinning, all the things, all the plates that I'm juggling. But the response we need to have is to take time. When the, the religious leaders didn't. They were too busy just doing their checklists and figuring out things and being excited of serving the king and being he would do for them. King, whatever. Enjoy my lisp then, Jada. They were so concerned with that that they forgot about the most important thing. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we always, always take time to remember him. To remember him during this season. Because the temptation is there when you follow him to just feel nothing and to do the things that you know you should do. But Jesus doesn't care about our works. He doesn't care if we come to, to church on Christmas Eve. He doesn't care if we come to youth group. He cares that we worship him. He cares that we see him, that we lock eyes with him. And so the question is, are you doing that in this season? Is that your response? The last response I wanted to talk about is the Magi. And Magi is a fancy name for wise men. So who were the wise men? Um, Magi is really a Persian or a Bab and a Babylonian. Both the Persians and the Babylonians both use this word. And it's just a word that says wise men. So when you see, sometimes it says Magi, sometimes it says wise men. They mean the same thing. It's just wise men. Um, some people believe that they were successors of the Chaldean wise men that served under Daniel. Others believe that they were members of the Midian tribes. We really don't know exactly who the name of these people are, but I think it's beautiful that we don't need to know and that they really didn't want to be known. They just wanted to know Jesus. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about them. Either way, they were people who had heard about the prophecy about Israel's coming king. And some believe that it was the prophecy in Numbers 24. Some believe it was the one in Micah 5. Some believe it was the one in Isaiah. There's a bunch of different, like, questions. There's so many questions of people. So if anybody says they know exactly who the wise men are, they're liars. Nobody really, really knows. Even the people who've dedicated their lives to figuring this out still don't fully know. And so the, the most important thing is that we know that they're people whose jobs were to be astrologers. They... Um, a lot of them would practice magic. They would be people who kind of dealt with the woo stuff in the planet for the kings. And so we know that they were really wealthy people because of their job. And that um, because they had access to the prophecies about the coming king, um, that that's why they were there. We know that they were unaware of the exact location of the king because they had to go to King Herod to figure out where exactly Jesus would have been born. And so we know that too. Um, so we have these wise men, these dudes whose jobs are to be astrologers, practice magic, do all these things, and they see a star. And they're kind of looking through all their stuff to see, all their documents to see what this could possibly be. It's some sort of a phenomenon in the sky. And Isaac's been really into stars, so if you want to know more about what this phenomenon could have been, he has a few theories. He loves 
He's recently gotten into it because Jordan let us borrow his mom's telescope, and so Isaac's been really into figuring out astrology. What? Okay, you need to shut your mouth. That was disrespectful. Um, okay, so here's the thing about the wise men that really boggles me. Anyone guys want to hear it? Okay, this is the thing that boggles me. They had no real reason to come and worship him based off of the world's standards. At this time, they didn't know that the real reality of what Jesus came for. They didn't know that Jesus' plan wasn't just to be king over Israel and set them free from all of their enemies. They didn't know that Jesus came to set them free from sin and that he was doing it for more than the Jews. He was doing it for the world. So they had no real reason to come and worship him. But they came all the same. They didn't have any backstory of a foundation of church or church life or people who loved the Lord. They had no people around them who did love him. They, had, they came from a foreign land, so it was a really long journey. They were older dudes, so because they were older dudes, the journey must have been really hard for them. There was a lot of reasons that they could have checked off why they couldn't come. But they came all the same. And they also didn't have anything practically to gain from coming. The journey was really long and really hard. And not only that, but they were giving great treasures. I mean, how much money would you say that all this stuff was worth, John? I'll bet you know. Wow. It was a lot of money. I basically funded their journey to Egypt and back, for sure. Yeah, at least in part. So we know that they had nothing really to gain. They only had stuff to give. But they came all the same. And I think that this is a story of... Hello? Okay, I'm back. Okay. I think this is a great story of young faith. Let's talk about what faith is. It says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The wise men got this concept. This verse hadn't even been written. But they understood. They were confident that Jesus had come. I mean, in, in Matthew 2, it says in verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The first thing that they ask Herod isn't if Jesus was born, you guys. The first thing that they asked Herod is where was he born? And I think that that's a really, really important word because oftentimes we want so much confirmation. We want so much confirmation with what God's called us to do. We ask people all over if they feel like that God's told us this or if they feel this or if. We have so many ifs, but the wise men didn't have any ifs. The wise men ha had questions, but their questions was about where. And so these dudes 
Think about it, you guys. These dudes only had one star that they looked at, one thing that they felt like God told them, and they, they knew. They knew what God had told them to do. They weren't asking for confirmation from King Herod. They asked for where he was. They said, where's the king? Not if he was there. They were confident in what they hoped for. For the wise men, the if, it wasn't if he had been born, it was where he was born. Um, in Matthew 2, 9 through 11, it says this. Let's see. I'll just read it from this. After they had heard the king, after the king Herod basically met with them in secret and told them what to do, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It's like they were on their way, they saw the star, and they're like, holy crap, this is the moment. And they were overjoyed. On coming the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I believe this season is about beholding him. Are you somebody who's overjoyed in beholding him? When we are in worship, are you just waiting to be done with worship? Or are you waiting to behold him? Are you overjoyed to behold him? Because for the wise men, I just think it's so beautiful, so beautiful that they went on this journey off of one star and that they followed their hunch and God met them along the way and that they, they had this beautiful moment and this beautiful encounter with Jesus as a baby. There's one, there's a two-year window when Jesus was a baby and there's only a couple people in the world who got to see him be a baby. How incredible is that, that these dudes who were foreigners, they weren't Jews, they had no reason to come and worship him. How wonderful is it that these guys got to be a part of that time? There was no distance that was too long for them. There was no age that was too old for them. There was nothing that they wouldn't do to take time to behold him. Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, oh, and then, um, and then 6 and 7, says, the people walking in darkness, and I think about this in light of the wise men, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Guys, think about that. His peace will be no end. If you struggle with peace, the government and the peace that he has, there's no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish men, will accomplish this. Are you somebody who has felt like you're in a land of great darkness? This is the big thing that I felt like. Are you somebody who's felt like you've been in great darkness or that maybe you haven't been given all the right tools or maybe you feel like you are in a land far away from Jesus? The, the Bible says that 
we who are walking in darkness have seen a great light, a great light, and it was Jesus. So if you feel like you are far away tonight, I would challenge you guys. Are you somebody who's like King Herod, who was angry and embittered, who thought of Jesus as an enemy? Are you somebody like the, like the religious leaders who were apathetic, who were so busy caring about what other people thought that they forgot about what Jesus matters? Or are you like the wise men who would do anything to behold him? I was at Walmart at the beginning of the Christmas season, and I was by myself just, you know, you know when you go to Walmart and you're like, I just have to go to the Christmas season. I know it's still October, but like I gotta do it just to be, because I get excited. I was doing that, and I decided to go to the Christmas section, and when I was over there, I saw this little piece of decor, and it really struck me. It it just struck me very differently. It said, wise men still seek him, and I just think that that's such a beautiful reminder for us this Christmas season, is that wise men still seek him, and it doesn't matter how far away you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have nothing to offer, but Come and behold him. Offer your gifts for him. Think about what, what gifts you can offer him. Think about how you can come and worship him. Think about how you can behold his presence and that the natural response is worship towards him. And so I just wanted to invite Katie up for just a minute. And all of you guys, I want all of you guys to come to the front. If you're in the front, I guess you can just stand up. But like... <laughs> Everybody who's in the second and third rows, I want you guys to come to the front. Hey, hey, hey. Jordan, stop. Listen. Hey, come closer, guys. Come in this area. Come in this area. Don't stand in the back. I wanted to give you guys... Hey, everybody listen to me. Hey. Everybody listen up. Hey. Reese, listen up. This is your opportunity to behold him. And I want you guys to allow God to search your heart. If you can, if you want, you can bow down, you can lift your hands, you can just close your eyes. You know, sometimes I just do this and just allow him to search my heart. But allow him to search your heart. Allow him to, to, to answer you on which you are. And if you have nothing else, if you have nothing else to give, just sit and behold him. And behold him. Don't let this time pass you by. Don't let this Christmas season pass you by. Um, so I just wanted to pray us out. And then after this song, we're going to break up into some small groups. And so, God, I just thank you so much. Jesus, what you did for us, We could never pay you back. There's not enough myrrh. There's not enough frankincense. There's not enough that would ever pay you back for what you've done for me. You have come to this earth and you died on a cross. And you, the Bible says that you never sleep. You're always sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for me, praying for me. You're always doing it for us. And so God, I just pray that we would take time to behold you, that we would take time to lock eyes with you and remember how big you are. Remember how good you are. Remember how great you are. That our situations really don't matter. The people around us don't matter. 
God, only you matter. And so God, I pray that we would take time to worship you, to behold you, and to love on you. And so God, I just pray that this, this time would be good. And I pray that discussion time would be good. In your name, amen.